Hello and welcome to the Wittered Report podcast, where we empower business advisors to transform businesses. This podcast is your source for information and news you need for your accounting, bookkeeping, or tax practice. Don't forget to check out scalingnewheights.com for information about our conference in June. And if you subscribe to this podcast, we will have a special registration offer just for you coming up soon. And now your hosts, Joe Woodard and Heather Satterley. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Woodard Report podcast. I am thrilled to be here today with Ron Baker. Uh, Ron, thank you for joining us. Um, For those of you that, and I can't imagine anyone that doesn't know who you are, Ron, you're an icon in the industry. Um, having written so many books, uh, you know, Firm of the Future uh, back in the in the early 2000s and most recently Time's Up, um, where you dig into the subscription pricing model. So thank you so much for, for joining me today. Oh, Heather, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled. Yeah, it's exciting. You know, you and I go way back. Um, I remember I was actually just telling Greg before our call that you and I first met at my first speaking engagement in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, it was a firm of the future tour oh, that right. we did with Intuit, and yep. I was so nervous. But you were there, and you uh, you said some very kind words to me, which I really appreciated. And and I did survive the day, and uh, went on to do a little more speaking. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a um, that was awesome. So thank you. I hold a very warm spot in my heart for you. I appreciate uh-huh. that. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, so um, very exciting. You know, the subscription pricing model um, has been around for so long in a bunch of other industries. And, you know, your book with Paul Dunn that was released this summer, you dig into where that becomes applicable to not just the accounting profession, but all professions that are providing services. Can you just kind of dig into where did that come from and, and what inspired the book and kind of looking at things in a new way? Yeah, what inspired it was just looking out the window and seeing the tsunami of of the subscription business model kind of roll over every industry. I mean, I can subscribe to a home, I can subscribe to a boat, I can subscribe to, you know, all sorts of things. And it's like, how is this impacting the professional space? And of course, it already has been, and it has been for actually quite a long time, 26 years which is when the first concierge medical practice was established. And and then from there, the DPC doctors um, started to come online around in mid-2000, somewhere in there. And these are just revolutionizing how general physicians are delivering care. As you know, Amazon just bought one medical for $3.4 billion. Heather, you can subscribe to one medical if you're a prime member for $144 a year, it's 12 bucks a month and have access to your own general physician. That's going to change know, the way healthcare is delivered in this country. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have my own personal physician. She was part of a, what we called a micro practice here in Rhode Island. Um, and she started doing it. It's been, I mean, it, it's been, probably 10 years since she launched that. She's kind of shifted away from that now, which is interesting, but that was the whole concept was that we were going to have a relationship 
And the fee that, that she was charging was really low, um, but she didn't have any office staff. So she answered her own phone. It really was concierge and, and, and I loved it. Um, so it, it, I have personally benefited from that type of relationship. And one of the things I was thinking about uh, recently is, you know, with the insurance companies, we're already as consumers of medical care, we're already established into the habit of paying a monthly fee for our medical care, right? But we're not getting the level of service in that relationship because we just, you know, we feel sick. We go to the walk-in clinic and, um, you know, we're, we're seeing a different doctor every time. So it seems like it would definitely be a better bet and a better investment for us and a better experience for us if we were spending the same dollars by having this concierge medical service. And if you think about all professionals, accountants, lawyers, doctors, they do three things. People want three things out of life, healthy, wealthy, and wiser. And if doctors can keep us physically healthy, then accountants, bookkeepers, CPAs, they can keep us financially healthier. I also think they can keep us wiser. And in turn, that probably makes us healthier to boot. So we kind of touch all three as in the accounting space. And the DPC doctors and the concierge doctors, that was my North Star for the book. Once I, let, once I dive deep on, on how they run their practices, the economics behind it, we've interviewed a DPC doc four times on our show, Dr. Paul Thomas out of uh, Detroit, and he runs Plum Health. And like you said, he was just one guy. He came right out of residency, didn't want to go in a fee-for-service treadmill because I think we're on the same treadmill that doctors in, in regular practices are. They're on a fee for service. They only get paid when they do something to you, order a test, have an office visit, a diagnostic, whatever. They don't get paid for what they do for you. And that's a huge difference. And I think trading hours for dollars or trading fees for services, they're the same. It's a terrible treadmill. The subscription business model, and it's not just a pricing strategy, it's a business model change. It's a totally different way of delivering, creating value. It's a totally different way of pricing that value. Um, it, it's the only model that finally comports to why we say we entered the profession. Doctors say when you ask them, why'd you enter the profession? To help people. You can't help people if you have 2,400 patients and you're spending five minutes with them and you're seeing 60 people a day. And you can't help people if you have 100 patient, uh, 100 customers if you're uh, a bookkeeper or thousands of customers if you're a CPA, for instance. And I just think this gets us back to our roots. Why did we become CPAs, accountants, bookkeepers? To help people. Well, there's only so many people you can help. Relationships are very, very difficult to scale. Now, that doesn't mean a business based on relationships can't scale. But that's a separate issue. I'm just talking about how many people can you handle and really make a deep impact on their life, really transform them over and over and over, by the way, from womb to tomb, we have the privilege of being able to do that. Just like doctors, we are privileged in the sense that we can move a person from where they are to some desired future state. And we can do it from womb to tomb. We can do it from the day they're born, help them get into college and we, or, or retire, and we can do it after they're gone through estate planning. And finally, this model puts the relationship at the center of the business model. We talk that we're a relationship-driven business. We say we pay lip service to it 
because yes, we say we want to be your trusted advisor. Oh, the relationship is everything. But look at what we monetize. We monetize services, scope of work. Oh, you you added new employees. Oh, you had uh, opened up different checking accounts. Oh, well, we've got to go to the Department of Paperwork and get a change order. And this just brings in friction to the relationship. And the subscription model does away with all of it. And that's what I love about it. That absolutely, and and I love the idea of it. So I have one question. One one thing, and that that just kind of popped into my mind is when we talk about having that holistic relationship with our clients. And I'm going to focus on the accounting, you know, the accounting profession here. Is you know there is something to be said. We can't be all things for all people, right? Um, and so there's so many, uh, you know, specialties, specializations within our industry, you know, you talk about succession planning, you talk about, you know, tax planning, um, audit, that kind of thing. So where does that fit in? Because definitely, you know, being a, a, you know, a practitioner, you know, a full service, I'm going to say that use that term, right? Full service CPA firm, right? No such thing. Um, no such thing. Right, right. Which, which, you know, works for larger firms, but for a smaller, um, you know, firm, that doesn't always work because you know you you've got independence rules. You've got um, you know the skill set actually keeping up with everything. So, can you talk a little bit about how that might fit in and 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 what what your recommendations are and what you've seen as far as really drilling into what you're good at? Right, right. No, it, that's a great question, and it's a big part of this business model change. Because this business model insists that you go to the market with an uncommon offering. If we go to the market with a common offering, we're going to command common pricing. And I'm a pricer. I'm not interested in common or commoditized pricing. I'm interested in premium pricing. I'm interested in how the concierge docs do it. I mean, and I'm talking the the, the concierge docs that target the top you know, 10%, 20% of income earners in the country. They're about 30 grand a year to subscribe for say a married couple, like four or five grand per kid. So there's that. And then the thing about uh, this model, and I'm, I've been a student of Joe Woodard, Woodard's enough to know that, you know, purpose is still the North Star, you know, why your business exists. But then you get into strategy. And strategy isn't just selecting from different options. Oh, I could be hourly billing. Oh, I could be value pricing. Oh, I could be subscription. No, no. A strategy is designed. A strategy is designed. And that's a really key point. And then below strategy is positioning. Am I going to be Morton's Steakhouse or am I going to be McDonald's? A lot of accounting firms try and be Morton's and McDonald's and a vegan restaurant, by the way, all under the same roof. And you can't do that. Like you said, you can't be all things to all people. There is no such thing as a full service firm because customers don't buy full services. They buy specific services or specific expertise. So niching or narrow focusing, whatever you want to call it, is critical. Absolutely critical. Think about the DPC docs. What they do, what they, what they will do for you is anything that they can do as a GP. But that's a constraint right there. They can't do knee right. surgery. They can't replace your hip. You're not going to go to them for oncology. Now, they're going to take you to those specialists. They might even sit in on those appointments to make sure the other doc knows all about your medical history and all of that. But they're not going to do those services. 
And therefore, the medical profession is way ahead of us in terms of referrals and specialization. They've been specializing since the 40s. We really didn't get into it until the 80s. So we're kind of latecomers to specialization. But your positioning is critical. And Heather, I see this mistake all the time. When you talk about this business model change, whether you're going from hourly to subscription or from value pricing to subscription, when you talk about subscription, people want to jump right to the pricing. Pricing is the junior partner. The senior partners are strategy and positioning. And until you figure, because those dictate your pricing strategy, it's not the other way around. And so it's really important to get, before you even get to pricing, to figure out, are you Morton's or are you McDonald's? Because a brand can only stand for one thing. You can't sell Rolls Royces and Chevys out of the same dealership. It would not only confuse the market and your customers, but it would also confuse your, your people internally. So you're exactly right about positioning being key to this. Absolutely. Um, and, and really creating the, the, the way to holistically help your clients is to create a network of professionals that have the same, you know, the, the same ideology that you have that have a similar purpose and that really can synergize with you and your clients to keep them healthy and um, really create a team uh, yeah. that, that, that will help the client, you know, to, to reach their goals. So I love that. And it's so much easier to do that these days because of the, you know, conferences like scaling new heights that we go to and we meet all these colleagues and they're not competitors and we have the web. So we don't have to be physically next to one another. Um, It just expands your territorial base of customers to be able to uh, offer within your social network. Hey, I know a heart surgeon who can take care of you. And then you make that referral and you quarterback that relationship, just like we work as accountants with insurance people or wealth planners or lawyers. You know, we need we need to bring in the specialists for stuff that we don't do because part of your firm's strategy, I, I will give you my definition of strategy. <laughs> your firm is defined by what the customers it doesn't have and the services it doesn't provide, period. That's what defines your strategy. It's what you don't do that matters. You can't do it all. You can't please everybody. We're not tequila. You have to focus. And I think when people hear focus, they get nervous. That means small. I give you Starbucks. I give you Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola does nothing but beverages. Pepsi has, you know, KFC and Taco Bell and... Coca-Cola has always had larger profit market capitalization because they're focused. Same with Apple. You know, Apple versus, say, Euler-Packard. Euler-Packard's got 15,000 SKU, SKUs. Apple has less than 100. Who's more focused? Who's more profitable? Who's worth more? And who does a better job at transforming their customers' lives? I would say Apple. You know, it, here at Woodard, you know, we, we, we follow, you know, as you mentioned, the North Star and really focusing on what your vision, mission and purpose is as a human. So definitely that, that folds over into your business. But as a human, what is it that, you know, what is the big thing you're looking to change and see in the, in the world? And, 
what's really interesting, you know, through our coaching program, I actually do some, you know, I, I participate in the coaching program and coach. And one of the things that's really beautiful about that process is that when you start asking those questions and looking beyond the work aspect of running your business, something beautiful happens because people start to, they start to find that synergy and that wholeness of being, you know, the, the individual that has, you know, the core set of beliefs that, you know, have to do with family and love and what you want to see in, 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 you know, in the world and, and nature and what they're bringing to their practice and to their clients. And it's, it's almost I'm trying to find the words to, to explain it, but it's, it's almost like a blossoming of the person. And then the transformation that happens in their practice is, is unbelievable. It's, it's beautiful because all of a sudden they've identified who the customers that align with them, not just on a business level, but on, you know, a personal level. And they start to get so much more satisfaction out of every part of their life. Um, so I love that. And you talk a lot about that in your book and time's up about, you know, going back to who you are and the work-life harmonization and, and it being more about just delivering a service, but actually building that relationship. Um, and it, and it is important. You know, uh, Paul Dunn, who wrote the first seven chapters, I think it is in the book and, you know, we wrote in our own style. So we kept, kept the chapters separate between him and me, but, um, he, he, he has a quote in there that I just absolutely love, and it kind of ties into what you just said. Nature doesn't look for problems. It looks for potential. And yes. I think we've lost sight of that. Our profession, we are great problem solvers. And we love, it's like a crossword puzzle. You know, we love to get in there. And, and I'm not saying that's not important. It's critical. We, you can get the IRS off your back if they're chasing, whatever it is. But Heather, if all we're doing for our customers is solving their problems, we're just reverting them back to the status quo. We're not advancing them. And we have the privileged position of being able to advance people, to, to guide those transformations. And that's the apogee of, of value creation. It's not the services. The services are a means to an end. The mm -hmm. end is that transformation. So let me give you a very difficult definition of a business model that I just love because it's so provocative and evocative, it really makes you think. In essence, a business model explains where revenue will be earned when services are provided free of charge. So I've heard Joe say, we should give away the tax and the bookkeeping to, you know, to get the advisory that everybody's pivoting to. Well, let's take it the next step. Give away the advisory too. Now what do you charge for? The answer is transformations. And that's what subscription model is perfect, beautiful hand and glove fit for. Let's get away from selling services, that fee for service treadmill, doing right. things to people rather than for them. And let's start guiding those transformations and the services we provide or others in our network provide all have that North star of helping those customers to a new position. And we can do that for them personally, or we can do it in their business or a combination of both. You probably can't do 10 transformations a year. It doesn't have to be that grand. It could just be one project or two projects that you're running in any given year. But that's going to give us a whole new conversation with the customer about our value. That's going to put a different light on our pricing. And if you're in a subscription model and you keep the customer for 
12 months, you've got a 90% chance of keeping them for life. And when you go to exit your firm, which you will, whether it's voluntarily or involuntarily, your firm is going to be worth a lot more than one times gross revenue. Um, this is something that's pointed out by um, John Warlow, who, who uh, wrote the book Built to Sell, which is how to position your practice to sell it when you're ready. And he's got a whole database of businesses that have sold, including professional firms. And he's seeing multiples of five to 14 times gross revenue for firms that are subscription. The market values predictable revenue more than it values one and done type services because they're not as predictable. It's called, he makes the distinction between recurring revenue, which is subscription, hence the annual recurring revenue, and right. reoccurring revenue, which is kind of like, eh, it may come back. It's like a rash, but we don't know when. A lot of one and done services. Now, I'm not saying that those would go away, but they would just be folded into the annual recurring revenue. And that makes your firm more valuable. And so, hence, this model has a different revenue model. It has a different profit model. It even has different accounting statements. The accounting income statement for a subscription-based businesses doesn't look the same as a gap statement. And it's different KPIs. So this is a total revamped business model change, not just fiddling with your pricing. And by the way, subscription is not taking an annual price and dividing it by 12 and getting paid monthly. That I, I wish I had a nickel for every firm that, told, oh yeah, we do subscription. No, you, you're not doing subscription right. You don't, right. You, you got to go to the market with a, a with a with what we call a plus offering, borrowing from Walt Disney. You, and you've got to continuously plus it, just like the doctors do. Because they'll they'll add pharmacy, they'll add diagnostic equipment, X-ray, you know, ultrasounds, whatever. I mean, they're always just like Amazon Prime is constantly plussing, giving us new benefits. That way, when we do go to raise our prices, we don't have to blame it on rising labor costs or labor shortages or or inflation or supply chain problems. No, no, you you raise prices by demonstrating how much more value you, you brought to the table. Right. I love that. So when you're talking about the succession planning and, you know, this, how the re relationship in the subscription model really builds the value of the firm, I would think that that also could, you know, be kind of an issue when you start looking for a buyer. Because I know, you know, myself that if I've built these really amazing, longstanding value-based relationships with my clients, I don't want to just sell them to anyone. Right. I want to sell them to a firm that's aligned with the values that I have that I know is going to deliver the same level of, you know, of, to have the same similar or the, the same quality of relationship that I have with my clients. Can you talk a little bit about that? Is there a strategy yet on how you put that together? Is it do you just run on gut? Well, um, we don't have a lot of experience yet with this model. There are some firms out there running with it. But I, I, I will posit something that I, that I could see that would not solve that. I don't believe in solutions. I think there's only trade-offs in the world. There are no solutions. Um, but I, I, I do think that this would happen. If you ran a subscription firm that was more about guiding transformations than being on this you know, hamster wheel of services, you know, one tax return after another, one set of books after another, you'd be able to attract better talent. Mm -hmm. because that, that also fits in with why they became a professional. And then when you are ready to exit, you'd probably have a higher probability of selling to that talent 
and they already share your values and your purpose. Absolutely. No, I, I was thinking the same thing. And, and you know, it, typically when you're leading from the heart and from your purpose and who you are, you surround people that are like-minded. And so those opportunities tend to just present themselves to you when the time is right. So I would agree with that. And it'll be interesting to see um, how that unfolds as we get a little further along. Um, I want to talk, I want to switch our conversation. You know, we have, we have a little bit of time left to AI, artificial intelligence in the last, especially in the last six months or so since chat GPT jumped on to, uh, you know, into the news and people are really starting to, um, you know, experience and, uh, interact with AI and see really what the potential is. I think that this puts a huge exclamation point on the, the you know, the, the, the benefits of subscription and relation-based pricing because, you know, actually a report just came out this week and it's not the first one that put accounting at the top of the list of, uh, of professions that were going to be eventually replaced by, by AI. And, and I, I'm, fully aware that this is not the first time this right. has actually been going on. We've been saying this for quite a while. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about, about AI and, you know, how does that fit in here? Um, how do we navigate that? Should people be concerned? And it, I mean, it, to me, it seems pretty clear that going to this relation-based AI can't ever replace that, right? I don't think it can until it becomes sentient, which I, I don't think artificial intelligence, AI will ever become uh, conscious like a human being. I just mm -hmm. don't, I, I think it's actually mathematically impossible. And the early developers of AI kind of mathematically proved that. It, it's always going to need an external oracle, somebody to program it and tell it what to do or, you know, how to respond or whatever. I mean, sure, machine learning can teach itself and jet. GPT is much more sophisticated in 4.0 than it was in three and a half. We should get mm -hmm. a break back in here because we talk about this so much on our show. But um, I'm not worried about AI stealing jobs. I'm not. A, I'm, all those predictions to me are bunk. Humans will always find ways to serve other humans. AI to me, it's a fantastic tool. It's a fantastic complement. And I think what especially chat GPT is going to do it's going to put a premium on asking more beautiful questions. And that's what advisors are paid for. And I think this is one of the things accountants struggle with, making the pivot from accounting to uh, consultant or advisor, whatever you want to call it, is as an accountant, we're experts. It's part of our identity. It's part of our self-esteem. It's part of how we were educated. If I get asked a question in my specialty, tax, audit, whatever, the quicker I can throw back an answer, the better I feel about myself. Even if I have to go research it and then get back to the customer, they ask me a question, I give them an answer. That's not how consultants work. Consultants aren't paid for the answers. They're paid for the questions. And the better the question, the more valuable the consultant is. Because without a good question, there's no place for an answer to go. The world is run by questions, not answers. Um, and because I can give answers through grunts, right? Uh-huh. I can nod mm -hmm. my head forever. But a beautiful question requires incredible thought. Socrates said half the wisdom's in the question. And just interacting 
with chat GPT forces you to ask it more beautiful questions. And that's what I think we're going to have a premium on that going forward. And chat GPT and other forms of AI, they're going to put a premium on asking more beautiful questions. And I think that's a wonderful thing because that's something I think our profession has been lacking for a long time. We're not good question. Uh, we're not, we don't ask more beautiful questions. We really don't. A lot of firms don't put any value on that because they view it as you're, you're showing your ignorance. You know, you sound like Lieutenant Columbo. Oh, I'm confused. Can you help me understand? Why? You know, no, the question is, is everything. And that's why I'm not worried about chat GPT taken over. And plus, I, I just think like all forms of technology, they lessen, they lessen the grunt work, the predictable work, and they let us move up the value chain to more things like guiding transformations. I mean, is anybody upset at their dishwasher or their washing machine and dryer taking away their job? <laughs> no. No, I, you know, absolutely. I agree with you. Um, I actually recently just saw in the last week, um, courses are starting to pop up on how to effectively ask chat GPT questions. So definitely odd to it. It is the questions. And, and when you do think about hiring a professional, it's because you hear this over and over again, I don't know the questions to ask, right? I don't know the questions to ask and I need to reach out to, you know, this expert, this consultant to help me because they do, they know they can identify when, when we need to dig a little bit deeper. So absolutely. And, and I agree with you. I think chat GPT, it's a tool. Uh, it will never replace um, the human relationship and in, in, in accounting, especially our clients are, you know, they're, they're in the relationship with us. The, what they're buying from us is the empathy, the relationship, the person that can understand, you know, what they're going through that can help them to really hone in on what their goals are and be there with them through their journey. Um, and, and so AI can't do that. It, it can't do that. And you're right, unless it becomes sentient, which is an impossibility, um, it will never, never replace us. Um, there's something about having a conversation with your client and being able to recognize the look in their eyes when they're saying something and knowing that that's not really how they're feeling. And that's something that, you know, artificial intelligence won't ever Actually, I don't want to say never say never because I know there are some optical, optical technologies that actually can gauge right. human emotion. But um, I think it's 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 quite a, a ways away. So, absolutely. So uh, I, you know, and just one more thing on that: if if sure. um, if we are moving away from services, this fee for service model, which yes. the subscription insists on, that you charge for the transformation, not the services, then think about it: all this AI, Botkeeper, all this stuff makes it so much easier to do those services and scope of work just blows up because yeah. are you going to have chat GPT do a timesheet? I mean, it spits out, you know, 10 paragraphs in what 30 seconds. <laughs> how, how do you, how do you charge for this by the hour? So this should be the final death knell for the timesheet and billable yes. hours, um, which I think would be great. No, it would be. It would be fantastic. You know, um, ditching the timesheets has is is so incredibly liberating. Um, but I think the thing that, and and I know you know this, that that people struggle with is that that mind shift. 
yep. that mind shift of, of not looking at, we're so, you know, we're so ingrained to getting paid by the hour, even if you're on salary working a particular set of hours, that it's really difficult for folks to separate that from how they earn their money. Um, so Absolutely. if you look back in, in history, you know, the way that communities existed, there was no time. It was just, you had a role that you played in your community and you showed up and you played that role to the best that you could. And you appreciated the other people within your community that were bringing value to the relationships and we coexisted. And I, I think I love the, I love what, what you and Paul are putting out there because it's kind of, it's returning to that. It's seeing each other as valuable people and what we bring to the table. And I just think that's awesome. So well, thank you. I do too. I, this gets us back to our roots of why we enter the profession. And Absolutely. What's, what's more noble than that? I think it's a glorious thing when we can actually help guide our customers to new places. And because when you do that, the customer's the product and yes. that's the ultimate. And we're privileged to do that. You know, Starbucks can't do that for me. Porsche can't do that. Sure. They can sell me a great car and get me over my midlife crisis or maybe make my neighbors jealous, but they can't transform me the way a professional can impact uh, a customer. And we're privileged Absolutely. because of that. Well, we're really excited we're, we're, uh, that you'll be joining us at Scaling New Heights this year again in St. Louis. Um, excited for the sessions. You're going to be teaching a, a session on strategy, which I'm really excited to uh, to join. I think that's going to be an amazing uh, session and you and Ed are also going to be doing the Soul of Enterprise again. So, really, really excited to to see you and and you know uh, join your sessions and and soak up all the knowledge that I can from you, Ron. Um, you bring so much, and I I really appreciate you joining me today. Well, thanks, Heather. I can't wait for Scaling New Heights. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, fantastic. Thanks, and I will we'll see see each other soon. All right. Take care. And thanks again. Thank you for joining us. For more information, please visit woodard.com slash podcast.